Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Blink of an Eye chronicles the star-crossed relationship between Michael Waltrip, a perennial underdog, and Dale Earnhardt, the most feared and iconic driver in NASCAR history. On the fateful running of the Daytona 500, at the inception of the 2001 season, Michael Waltrip breaks his 462-race losing streak in an epic but heartbreaking fashion. In what is considered to be the Super Bowl of motorsports, triumph becomes tragedy as Michael's best friend and team owner Dale Earnhardt crashes in the final lap, creating a shocking debt that is paid back in a spectacular and dramatic fashion on Waltrip's emotionally charged return to Daytona and a race to the finish with Dale's son, Dale Earnhardt Jr. And with that, I'd like to introduce the director of the film, blink of an eye, and that would be Paul Tablib. Paul, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate being here. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm so thankful to have you on the show. I had a lot of fun with this film. I have to tell you, one of the things that I got out of it that I didn't expect to get out of it was how emotionally involving this film is. And, and I think that's a testament to your approach to what the film is about, but also in the characters and in the story. It is a very emotional film to watch. Um, tell me... You think that race car drivers are kind of stoic and, you know, just sort of, I don't know what the word is, but um, it's like anything. When people are really at the highest level and really passionate, you need a certain amount of steeliness to do it, but underneath it, there's got to be some very raw, basic human things that are taking place. Yeah, y- you're right. I think it's, it is that uh, the emotion or the, the drive for, of competition is also an, an obviously a very emotionally involving impulse in people. You, you have to be all in. And, yeah. and that, that, that's what comes across here. Yeah, well, that's what we, we wanted a movie that and I've done this in some of my other documentaries, where if you're a core fan or it's a sport you've lived and breathed, you can find it engaging and, and, and you sort of see it fresh. And then if you're not a fan, or not like me, perhaps like yourself, not a NASCAR fan, can still find it, you know, that this, there's a story there to follow, like a movie. Yeah. Well, tell me how you got started on doing the documentary. Did you know Michael Waltrip? What was, it that, what was your way into this story? Um, it's kind of a funny story, actually. There's a guy named Mitch Covington who works for an energy drink, energy drink named Monster Energy, and he's a friend of mine, and I've done some work with him. And he needed a speaker at a sales conference, and Monster had just become involved with the sport of NASCAR, and they knew Michael was kind of a funny, easygoing, happy-go-lucky guy. And all Mitch knew was he had lost a lot of races and then finally won. And he thought, for salesmen, that's a good, a good message. You know, don't give up. So he invites Michael to the uh, to the sales meeting exactly two years ago, actually, which is the other story. These things don't happen overnight, as you well know. And Michael gets to Vegas and goes, I've never really given a speech. I don't know what the hell to do. So Mitch is frantic and goes, well, just go tell him your story. Do the best you can. And nobody really knows what's going to happen. Well, Michael gets up and tells this story basically in about 45 minutes. And this is a room full of salesmen who, like, work for Budweiser and drive around in trucks and stock 7-Eleven shelves, right? A grizzled 
mm. hard-bitten bunch. Mm. And they ended up almost having to mop the floors from all the tears and the crying that went on because it was just so dramatic, as you know, and not what you'd expect. Certainly don't expect so much emotion. And just as sort of an aside, when you're doing stories in, in reality, in, you know, in, in fact-based thing, you need a great story. You can't, you can't change the facts. And this story is like someone hands you a home run. You just have to run the bases correctly. And uh, so I humbly, you know, defer to the fact that I was handed a lot of really great elements to work with. And so anyway, Michael does this speech. Everybody's in tears. And Mitch calls me up and goes, I found the next movie we have to make. And that's how it came about. And then I, heard, I watched the videotape of Michael's emotional speech. And I said, yeah, this is an amazing story. And I actually in those years, had worked with NASCAR. I knew about Dale's death, and I vaguely knew about Michael Waltrip. So, and what's happened is, he's like the forgotten story in this. Like, like we said earlier, people know Dale Earnhardt died in a, in a car crash. That's not a mystery to anybody. But this flip side of it, which illuminates Dale's story in a way that's never been told before, um, in a very human way, in a, in a very relatable way, with, I think, a number of themes that people can grasp onto, which have nothing to do with car racing, um, is what drew me to the story. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, your your narrative of, of that race and what happened is exactly mine. I remembered, I mean, and people, I remember it, Dale Hart dying in this car wreck at Daytona. And when you see the film of it, in fact, I might even have been watching. If I wasn't watching, I, I must have flipped it on right in the aftermath because they were showing this thing. And you're looking at this wreck, and you're thinking, how of all these spectacular, wild, end-over-end, crazy things, you, you, you're you certain that somebody has at least lost a limb in one of these, cra- mm-hmm. these, these spectacular crashes. This one, he bumps into the wall. Literally, it doesn't look like you would, he, you'd, wouldn't even remember it you know otherwise and well, one of the things that you're absolutely right and that's what everybody thought including myself but the key the, the, the hint that something was more serious is, is Daryl Waltrip which is part of this Shakespearean quality yeah. of this film I think that his brother um, you know has such a big role in his life in a positive and a, and, a, and, a, and a challenging way but that little bit of footage when Daryl Waltrip is screaming for his brother's win but then says I hope Dale is okay yeah. Because as a driver, he knew that wasn't just a little tap in the rear, which is what everybody, including myself and everybody who was there, thought, and, and like yourself, um, which is just another one of these strange twists. The other thing about it is, this is a little bit of me, my, my feeling about it, and, and it's in the movie a little bit, there's kind of a narrative in the world, like when you watch a war movie, you know who's going to get killed, and you know that Tom Hanks is not, right? I mean, <laughs> just the way these things are. And Dale Earnhardt, you know, was John Wayne. Yeah. He doesn't get killed. It's just not, it's not the narrative of the world. And his death is, was so shocking on so many levels that Michael's story, which is a, a, you know, an incredible feel-good story, at least at that point, got totally overshadowed. The other thing that happened in the world of NASCAR, we did a private screening of this film in Charlotte for NASCAR, fan, NASCAR in, industry people. And I've done a bunch of screenings, and most people are polite, and they get up and, and they clap. But what happened at the screening was people got up and hugged each other and were crying. Because after Dale died, there was a lot of controversy, which is not what my film is about. It's not about you know what happened and safety rules and all that kind of thing, which is legitimate, just not my movie. NASCAR kind of, it was a messy situation, and it was tragic you know, to have your 
Michael Jordan of your sport died that way. So it was kind of said, let's not talk about this too much. It had kind of been buried. There wasn't a lot of mourning. There was, again, there was controversy about it. So this, to these people later told us it was cathartic. Through Michael's story, they could address their, you know, sadness over the passing of Dale Earnhardt. Had a very surprising reaction. Yeah. Yeah, and one other factor in, in that is that, as opposed to almost any other sport that you could name, Daytona is considered their Super Bowl, and it it's, I believe, the first race of the season, which is just an oddity in the world of NASCAR. I don't know why that happened and how, but it's revered as this Super Bowl of NASCAR, and it happens at the beginning of the season, and I'm wondering if that also didn't help sort of allow people to bury their feelings about how, how Dale had died as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is an odd thing. It has to go back to the creation of the sport. And we actually had a wonder, you know, when you, as you're making a documentary, like you said, you have to look at everything and you collect a lot of stuff and then you've got to put stuff on the cutting room floor that makes you cry. And one of those things was we had done a, a deeper look into the birth of Daytona and why Daytona and the history there. There's some of it in there, but there was a lot more to it and it had to do with how the guy who created the sport, Bill Franz Sr., got the money and built this super speedway and wanted to kick everything off with that. Um, but you're right. Um, it, it just, what happened, and it happened to the sport, and it's kind of one of the great things about actually all sports, but particularly racing, but, you know, you go to the track the next week. You yeah. know, you, 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 it, life goes on, no matter how tragic it is. And um, so, yeah, the first race of the season, you have this tragedy, and then you got whatever it is, 31 more, more races to go. And so it kind of gets put in a, in a draw and put, a, put aside. And people didn't want to talk about it because it was so, you know, again, not just unexpected, but it wasn't the narrative that Dale Earnhardt's life should have been until people now see this movie. And I think that's, um, you know, yeah. why it's refreshing. I can tell you, you know, you get different compliments, like you were very kind when we spoke about this. But we played this for Dale Earnhardt Jr., who, as you know, is also in the film. He was very wary at first. Um, you know, Michael is friends with him, so he agreed to do it. And his comment afterwards was, when my three-year-old daughter is old enough, this is the movie I want to show her so she knows what her grandfather was like. Wow. That's, that's, <laughs> that's great. I don't know what else to say except you that's incorrect. Incur- I said, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, yeah, that's part of that surprise. Yeah, I want to just let our listeners know that uh, we're talking about the film Blink of an Eye, and we're speaking with the director and producer of the film, and that would be Paul Tablieb. And there is one other part of the story that you described at the be- in, in setting up what the film is about, and something that I had no idea about until I saw the film. I, I, like I said, I'm a sports fan, so I'm sort of a... And I'll, Pardon my alliteration here. I'm a drive-by NASCAR fan, so uh, and um, and that is that Michael Waltrip had this remarkable losing streak. And I don't know if you want to tell our listeners the the number of races that he had lost in in a row. But what was what's ironic, bitterly ironic about it is he he won his first race. <laughs> And he was considered to be a rising star in 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 NASCAR. And he w- it's not like he was a, not a good driver. He was apparently an excellent driver. But tell us about the streak, if you if you dare. <laughs> I just want to go back to one thing. The movie opens in New York and L.A. on the sixth, in one theater in each city. Okay. And then on September twelfth, it goes to eight hundred theaters nationwide for one night only. And you can find out if you want to go to your local theater, which is pretty much.
much everywhere. It's fathomevents.com, F-A-T-H-O-M, events.com. You put in your zip code, and they'll tell you where your local theater is. Unless you're in New York, it's at Cinema Village, and in Los Angeles, it's at the Lemley in Beverly Hills. Yeah, Michael's losing streak is the story. I mean, I have no problem talking about it. He lost 300, I mean, five, 463 races in a row, arguably one of the longest losing streaks in professional sports. So, and he had a lot of close calls, which we get into some of that in the film. A lot of it was bad luck. A lot of it was bad career choices. You know, in, in the world of motorsports, money equals speed, so he wasn't always on the best teams. But one of the reasons we spent a lot of time early in the film, and we wrestled with this as filmmakers, setting up who he was and his background, and did we want to go into it. He came up as a very good racer. He won a lot of races at the lower levels. It would be like a baseball guy who's an all-star in AAA and moving up. And he wasn't just some, you know, flunky who happened to end up in a car. He also did it on his own, and that's a big part of the story, yeah. his perseverance and the fact that his brother, who was a top, top star at the time, you know, went on to win uh, four national world championships, didn't help him. Uh, and it's that dilemma, that very relatable human factor of family dynamics that's also at the heart of this story. Um, and so he just kept losing and losing, and it was all kinds of different reasons. And what's, to me, what the movie's also about is what happens when someone believes in you? What can that do to yeah. you as a person? There you go. This very mysterious quality, not just belief in yourself, but when someone who's really good at something goes, I'm going to make this work for you. Suddenly there's a scene where he's walking along the at the Daytona 500 that day. You know, he's walking along, and um, he's with Dale. And you can see it's a different Michael Waltrip. He is confident. He may have lost 463 races, but that day he believed in himself. And that's part of the film, and I think... That hope that we all have and someone believing in you, someone who happens to be great, but having someone behind you, whether it's your wife or your parents or your friend, that's a very important thing in life. And uh, Michael got that gift, and it, it paid off. Well, I'm glad we're talking... Yeah, it, I'm glad we're talking about Michael because this isn't, a, and I think we've made that point, but I want to make sure people understand, this isn't a racing movie as much as it is, it's a relationship film. It's about the relationship with Dale Earnhardt, Dale Earnhardt Jr., also with his wife, or now I assume ex-wife, uh, Buffy. It is ex-wife now, yeah. Yeah, a and... All, I mean, they're all the relationship, and you weave together this narrative about Michael, who, again, yeah, he... he he certainly, I'm sure, had lots of times when he was very down about his career and where he was and all. But through it all, he seems to have a, just a, his default is a very positive, upbeat guy who tries not to take everything too seriously in the film. And that's the way he comes across to me. A guy that you really would like to get to know. I mean, it just feels like a lot of different things and he's just a great subject for a documentary film. Uh, is that a fair assessment of Michael Waltrip? Well, you know, it, it, on many levels it is. He is that guy to this day. But who he is today, it's very funny how it's very similar to then. There's one Michael Waltrip who's outgoing, happy, funny. When he's on Fox, he's still an announcer. He's always got a funny joke. He tells a great joke, some of them which are not ready for radio, I can tell you that. <laughs> um, and, but underneath it is a very serious, highly emotional person. And from a filmmaking standpoint, what we hopefully captured, what my job was, was to, you know what, Michael, you're, you know, like I say, every clown inside a clown is someone who's, who's, you know, serious and there's a sadness. Well, underneath that veneer of I don't care about how many races I've lost, and I'm just the easygoing guy, there's someone who didn't want to be known as a loser, who 
wanted to win something. And he's just a, he is a highly emotional person, which I think he shared with us also. Yeah. Um, and that's why the film has a lot of dimension, is my hope. And to this day, when we were doing the shooting, we were in a, an old uh, facility where we could put the cars and create a set. But I would often go outside the, the, to the parking lot to get something from the car to go across the street to the hotel. And I found Michael in the parking lot crying sometimes. Oh. That bringing this all back and reliving it and seeing all these people talking about him. He couldn't sit through the interviews. He wouldn't sit in the room. He would come in, listen for a few minutes, and then he would leave. And, you know, it's all very raw. So as he's a great character. Again, I was, it's a gift as a filmmaker to have someone who's very articulate, who wants to tell the story. And, but he did have this happy-go-lucky side. And like you said, it's about his relationship. And it's like the odd couple. You know, it's like that, that's what this story is. Here's Dale. His nickname was Ironhead and the Intimidator. And here's Michael, who was a goofy guy, who a lot of times didn't take things seriously. He didn't always let it get to him. And when people, including Dale Jr., as he says in the movie, they're 20 years apart in age. Yeah. One is the greatest, one is the worst. <laughs> How do these two guys become friends and go fishing together? So that's what the film helps also examines, is this idea that what you think is friendship and what you think the dynamic of the world is, it's sometimes a little bit surprising. And when you look at someone... Maybe there's more or something different going on there than you suspected. It is a heartwarming film, and it it there are, and you see the this relationship. You see, you just see a lot of different things in a film that I I think a lot of people will look at the poster and not expect to be able to to pull from it. And I think they, and I'm just the letting them know they're wrong. I can't tell mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I no. No, no, I'm just saying, I'm saying, and if they just look at the poster and assume it's a, that kind of, whatever kind of movie, they're going to be wrong if they don't know that it's a very emotionally involving film. Well, the other thing is, which we're not going to reveal right now, is, but, you know, after this, it, it doesn't end with this tragedy. There right. is a chance where Michael, you know, does have a take a hold, which we'll, we'll save for people to see. Yeah. Um, where the guy who really, really all he wants to do is win again, what he does when he's given an opportunity and how he pays back his the guy who believed in him. Yep. Well, it is, again, the film is called Blink of an Eye, and we have been talking with the director, producer. There's one other hat you're wearing that I'm leaving out. What else? The writer I wrote the whole outline and all that kind of stuff. And and writer. uh, That would be Paul Taublieb. And uh, Paul, thank you so very much for uh, for talking to us about Blink of an Eye and for spending some time here on Film School Radio. Thank you so much. Anytime. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.